there's some days in our lives that change the trajectory of our lives, don't they? There's some days in our lives that alter the rest of our lives. You know, days such as graduation and all of those who are graduating, congratulations. To all you guys who are graduating this year, congrats. It's an awesome, awesome moment and it's going to impact the rest of your life. So congratulations there. You know, days such as wedding days, the days where a child is born or there's an adoption of a child within a family, those days change the rest of our lives. For us internationals here, anybody here international, you weren't born in this country you know, how, how different was that first day when you stepped foot in this country? You know, how did that change and impact the rest of your life? For us internationals, you know, I remember the day that I took the oath of allegiance, and that changed the trajectory of my life as I became a U.S. citizen. Um, that impacted me. You know, there are other days, some of which are sadder. You know, days, for instance, like a breakup day. You know, those days change the outcome of your life. It alters you. You know, days where we grieve the loss of a loved one or days where we suffer an accident or, or an injury, and some days have this impact. You know, if we, if we broaden that out and just look beyond our own individual lives, there are days that impact not only us as individuals, but us as a community. If you stop and consider, you know, July 4th, 1776, that was a day that changed you know, the world stage as America became a country. On December 18, 1865, when slavery was abolished through the 13th Amendment, that was a day that had, you know, lingering impact. Or even more recently, September 11th, how many of you guys believe that that was a day that changed some things in our world? It altered. It, it created the war on terror. It initiated it. It, it caused, you know, some really terrible outcomes of, 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 of terrible aggression towards Muslim Americans. It became the day where, you know, air travel changed forever, right? Now you got to take off everything before you get on a plane, go through security. It's like, really? Excuse me? Some things are private, you know? I need, I need to hold up my pants, leave my belt on, whatever. But it changed some things. And today I'm reminded of one such day. If you look in the book of Acts, we're going to look at chapter 2. I'm reminded of a day that changed everything. It was a day that changed certain things, and it altered the trajectory of the followers of Jesus Christ. It altered some things in the lives of those people. It was a day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost was the day that life changed for the early church. It was basically the day the church was born. It was a day that things were so markedly, you know, one of a kind. It was a day like no other. And so if you're there, Acts chapter 2, I want you to take a look here. If you're using the Pew Bibles, page 855, uh, it says this here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there was uh, a sound. There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll park it there. There's a lot more, but we'll park it there. Father, I thank you for your for your word, and I ask you, Lord God, that you just highlight some things to us and speak to us today, Lord, on this incredible day of Pentecost. Remember a day like no other. Father, I pray that you would speak your Holy Spirit into our hearts, and your truths would be, Lord God, made evident in your precious name. 
Amen. Pentecost was a day like no other. Have you heard of that term, Pentecost? It's, it's a word that literally means 50th. It means 50th because Pentecost was the day where they celebrated. It was 50 days after the Passover. It was a Jewish holiday where they celebrated the ingathering of the harvest. You know, the, the, the summer harvest was there and the wheat was, was gathered. And they would celebrate it after these seven weeks or so um, of having the harvest gone. They would commemorate it. But additionally, this, this Pentecost day was a day of festival that was considered to be a day of no work. It was a day for all the assembly and the people of God to gather together and celebrate. Why? Because it also became associated with the time where Moses received the law, the Mosaic law. He received the Mosaic covenant at Mount Sinai all those many years back after the people of God left Egypt in the Exodus and they were following after God. It was believed that 50 days after leaving Egypt was when they were at Mount Sinai and God gave Moses the words that he gave, the commandments and the laws. And so Pentecost became the day where people celebrated the giving of the law and they made commitments and they were excited and fired up to be able to renew their vows to follow after that commitment and to live their lives in accordance to the law of Moses. And so it was a special day for the nation, but not just for this reason. This day is going to be a day like no other because God is going to couch within that day, a day that they are celebrating the law, celebrating all that God commanded them to do. Now comes God on the scene through his Holy Spirit. He's giving them the advocate, the promised gift that Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you orphans, but I'm going to give you the gift from the Father. It's good that I leave so that I can send him your way, and I'm going to send him exactly on this day, the day of Pentecost. You know, Pentecost was for, the, for Judaism the day of the giving of the law, and for Christians, it's the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit. For Luke, the coming of the Spirit on the early Christians at Pentecost is not only a parallel to the Spirit's coming on Jesus at his baptism, but it is also in continuity and in contrast to the law. It's in continuity because Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and not to abolish it. It was in continuity to everything God had commanded, but now it's something in contrast. This is greater than the law. This is beyond the law. This is going to be something different. See, on Pentecost, there was a shift in the paradigm where prior God's spirit, God's power would come upon people for certain days or moments or activities. It would come upon people as it came upon the, 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 the gentleman who made all of the, the different instruments for the tabernacle. It would come upon the prophets as they spoke, you know, heavenly, you know, prophecies from God and, and messages from the Lord, like, like it came upon Saul and he prophesied. Or as it came upon Samson and he was endued with power to, to be able to defeat God's enemies. You know, in the past, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a time, a season, and the Holy Spirit was expected to be with people, to be by people. And now here in the day of Pentecost, a paradigm has shifted. It's a day like no other because now the Holy Spirit's not just coming to be by, but he's coming to live in. He's coming to reside within. As Paul tells us that we, our bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that the, the Spirit of God, 
then abides within us. And Jesus, when he made the promise in, in, in uh, Luke and in John, and on that last day as they're, they're, they're hanging out in that upper room, he said, if my words abide in you, you then abide in me. I will not leave you orphans, but you will follow my commands. My spirit will be with you. And so here we have a day that is like no other, a day that is different, and a day that's marked. There, there's some very distinct things here. And I just wanted to spend some time this morning looking at a couple of distinctions that happened on this day. It was a day like no other, and some things were absolutely different and reserved just for that day, and it's never to be repeated. But then there are certain aspects of that day that are prescriptive, and they continue to impact us to this very day, and will continue until the promise is fulfilled where Jesus says, I have returned. I am coming back for you. There are some things that continue on. And so in verses 2 through 4, we encounter three different signs. What are the signs? Just, just call them out for me. What do you see? What is special and supernatural that happened on that day? What's one thing? A rushing wind came on that day. What's another? There was the sight of tongues which were looking like they separated as fire. There seemed to be some fire. There's wind, there's fire, and then there was inspired speech. As the Spirit gave them utterance, these guys spoke some things. They declared some things. Therefore, all those years ago, what transpired on that day, it was audible, it was visible, and there was an outward demonstration of what was going on. It was something that was just not a you know, theoretical thing or something that is abstract and you can't place a finger on it or you can't quite notice it. These signs were rich when they showed up on the scene and they were super significant. So I want to consider the significance of these events and these signs, these displays that happen on the day of Pentecost. The wind, the fire, the speech, but more specifically, I want us to focus on the, on the wind and the fire. See, if we look at the Bible all throughout the Old Testament, we see that you know, God's activity was often marked by wind and fire. Can I get an amen? Luke tells us that the Spirit of God is, that God himself is spirit. And have you, have you come across the scripture that says, you know, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. And so there is nothing, you know, um, incredibly necessarily sensory about God. There is nothing incredibly sensory about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is, in essence, a spirit. The Bible gives a lot of you know, um, personification to God and, and human qualities and characteristics, you know, but then it also has other different types of, of, of descriptors for him. But God, in essence, is spirit. And so we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And yet, God has, in his providence, accompanied his presence, his activity in the world through many tangible, physical signs visible and audible signs, with these signs being particularly displayed at times of crisis in, in redemptive history. Uh, at times where things were difficult, God showed up in a physical, tangible way, in a displaying way, so that people would know, whoa, we're not alone, he's with us. So consider with me all the times in the scripture, not all but a few, when we see God showing up, his activity on the earth, his activity in the word, and it was accompanied by the display of wind. 
If we go back all the way to Genesis, we see in the very beginning, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, the, the breath of God, that is the wind of God was hovering over the waters. And it came through, that's in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, 7, when God formed, he started creating things and then he got down on the earth and he started forming man with his hands. It tells us in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. There was the wind of God, the breath of God that came into us as created beings. At the Red Sea, when the people have left Egypt and, and they are being chased by the, the Egyptian army who doesn't want them to escape any longer, they come before the Red Sea and there is nothing there for them to do but depend on the power of God. And what does God do? God sends forth his wind and he drives back the waters, allows his people to walk through on dry ground. There was the wind of God at the Red Sea. In the wilderness, a wind from the Lord brought food to the hungry people. As they wanted to know, what are we going to eat? We need some meat. We want God's wind sends a, storm, sends a massive migration of quail their way, and they are fed in the wilderness. They are nurtured in that space. The Lord spoke to Job out of a tornado in Job 38. To Elijah, he spoke out of the great and powerful wind. God is seen again and again in the Bible, speaking, operating, manifesting, and when he's there, there's wind in, in, in the situation. We see in, in Psalms, they talk about the stormy winds, they do God's bidding. It's all throughout the scriptures. You can go time and time again, you'll find it. To, uh, God told Ezekiel that he would to, was to prophesy to the wind, and that wind of God came and built up that, there was that vision of the valley of dry bones, and he commanded the wind to come in, and the wind picked up the bones and put ligament to ligament, and then all of a sudden, God's creative power was at work. And finally, he said, prophesy to the wind to come in and make this army a living nation. And so God works and it's operating through wind. And so now, it's only fitting here in Acts chapter 2. Well, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father that here as these guys are praying, as they're all in one accord, they're together just seeking after God, being faithful to follow after the commandments of Jesus, that now there's a mighty rushing wind that comes through. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by a sound of heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Acts 2.2. 2. Consider in the Old Testament, consider in the Bible when God manifests his presence and he comes through for people and he shows up, oftentimes he shows up through fire and there's the, the visual, tangible expression of fire that is there. Consider with me when God appeared to Moses after Moses had fled Egypt, after, as Moses is watching over sheep as a shepherd out in the wilderness, when he spots over into the, on the corner of his eye a burning bush, and out of that burning bush, God speaks to him. That bush burns, yet it is not consumed, and there comes God's voice to Moses. Consider how in the Old Testament we find not only that, but God in the wilderness leading the people out of Egypt. He is leading them through a pillar of fire by night so that they would be warm, so that they would have direction, they would know where to go. God keeps them 
And he manifests himself through that fiery pillar. Consider also, not only that, how the fire of the Lord burned and consumed Elijah's sacrifice when he's having a showdown with the prophets of Baal. It says that the fire of God came down and it licked up that altar. It burned the stones. It ate up everything on that sacrifice. It was the fire of God that burned everything up. God revealed himself as the fire through the prophets Daniel, Ezekiel. He himself in Hebrews later on in the New Testament says that he is a consuming fire. And so there's this imagery that's all throughout. John the Baptist, when he was you know, proclaiming the way and making the way straight for Jesus, declaring repentance in the wilderness, he says, hey, I'm baptizing you guys in water, but there is one who's going to come and he's going to baptize you in fire and the Holy Spirit. And so it is all throughout the Bible. We see the wind, we see the fire accompany God's presence, accompany God's activity. But why? I want us to stop and consider just very practically, all right? Um, I shared a lot of scriptures with you, but I want you to just start thinking about fire. Think about wind for a second. Let's focus our thoughts on that. Why is it so significant? Why that on the day of Pentecost, the day known to be the day where everyone renewed themselves to the Mosaic Law, and they were reminded of their renewal covenant, of how they wanted to be faithful to the covenant and laws of God. Why did the Holy Spirit come and when he showed up, he says, hey, let's make sure to include a little bit, a little bit of wind and a little bit of fire here. Because there is something significant in this imagery that is going to be applicable to the work and the nature and the character of the Holy Spirit. And so consider with me just a couple of things. How many of us have come to understand that, you know, Wind is empowering. Wind is empowering. For centuries, wind has been used in sailing to carry ships upon the waters. For many years, wind has been used in windmills to be able to, you know, to, 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 to grind weed or, or, or items and also you know, empower irrigation. More recently, wind farms have been used not only as a source to do these things, but also to generate electricity. And the, the, the electricity that's generated in, wind, in these wind farms can be just as powerful as that generated in a nuclear power plant. It takes a lot more space, a lot more land to provide the same amount of power, but it is possible. Similarly, fire, what about that? It's a powerful force. Fire is able to keep you warm to illuminate a space, but it's also able to generate electricity to automate movement in controlled spaces such as a combustible engine or a steam engine, it's able to do things and empower things. The Spirit of God blowing and burning in our lives has the same ability. When the day of Pentecost came, there was the manifestation of wind and fire because there is this association. The nature of the Holy Spirit is that He is empowering. When the wind of the Holy Spirit blows in our lives, when the fire of the Holy Spirit burns within our lives, there is a power-generating effect that is present should be present within us. That's why Jesus commanded his disciples, he says, I don't want you guys to leave. I don't want you to go about your mission. I don't want you to start doing what you're doing to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth until you have been clothed with power from on high. I want you to wait for the wind in your sails. I want you to wait for the power of the fire of God to burn, that, that, to, to motivate you and to fill you and to use you and guide you. He sent baptism in the Holy Spirit to empower them. But think about fire. Think about wind. It's not only empowering, it's also transformative. Have you heard of something called wind erosion? 
See, wind has the ability to, to pick things up and shape things. If you look at, you know, uh, the Grand Canyon and how, you know, the waters, but also the wind has picked up sand and particles and debris and it has shaped it over the course of time. Wind will come and pick up sediments and, and, and rocks and sand and dirt, even trash, and over time it will transform the whole appearance of a landscape. How many of us, we, we think, well, that's way too great and grand, but you, you understand the power of wind. How many of y'all have a wind blower, a, a leaf blower at home? How many of you guys love doing yard work? I don't, but you know what? It's way more manageable if I have a leaf blower because every autumn when, when all those leaves fall down, I can grab and harness the power of wind and I can completely transform the landscape of my yard by blowing and getting rid of those pesky leaves, shaping them and taking them to a place that I need to collect them and so on and so forth. Fire also has a cleansing power. Fire has a transformative power. Have you ever watched the show Survivor? I gotta admit to you guys, sometimes when I just need to put some mindless TV on, I'll watch Survivor because I think it's kind of fun to see these people, you know, compete and be thrown into the middle of a wilderness and have to figure out how to make fire, how to, how to you know, boil water and how to get food and, and forage. And then they're also competing in games and hey, you get to win a million dollars at the end. So it's, it's a fun thing, but it, it's, it's wholesome. It's not like a terrible TV show. But one thing I've noticed in Survivor is if the, the teams that don't learn how to make fire in the beginning, they, they pretty much get wiped out. Because these guys can't compete. They're so malnourished. They're not hydrated. They don't have fire and therefore they can't boil the water that they're going to drink. They can't have their water cleanse of the bacteria that's within them. And so they end up drinking the water from the river sources or whatever and they get sick. Because there's all these bacteria living within the water. So fire has a transformative cleansing power. Uh, Similarly, we take metals, precious metals, and we submit them to the flame. And as we raise the temperature of those metals and it starts to melt and it, it goes into a boiling point, all of a sudden the impurities that are within that metal start rising to the surface whereby it can be scooped up and, and removed. Fire has a cleansing power. There's an attribute to it that's there. That's why in Isaiah, when he had the vision of God in the temple, Isaiah chapter 6, he says that he saw the God in his temple and he saw how his train filled the temple and the angels were ministering to God. And then he said that an angel came through, picked up a coal from the, from the altar and he touched that coal to Isaiah's lips. And in doing so, he said, your guilt is taken away and your sin has been atoned for. God's fire has a cleansing power. And so on the day of Pentecost, when that moment was happening, the, the winds came, the fire came through. It exposes us and it tells us, hey, when the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives, he needs to expose some things. He needs to cleanse some things. He's going to touch some things and he's going to start making us pliable and malleable within his hands. The Holy Spirit's going to blow into our lives and he's going to blow in godliness and he's going to blow out sins and blow out junk and blow out hurt and pain and offenses and grievances. He's going to blow those things away as he blows in his righteousness, his plans, his purposes, his promises. He blows that into to our lives. He melts away the hardness of our heart and our wills and our plans and all of our desires and he starts building us up and reshaping us and cleansing us with his desires, his plans, his promises and he's constantly working in us, cleansing us, 
transforming us, renewing us, because there's a transformative power. But not only that, there, there is, think about wind and, and fire. There's a destructive element and character to it, isn't there? There's a very destructive character to it. If you just stop and consider tornadoes and hurricanes, how many homes, businesses, even lives have been impacted by the destructive force of such things, whereby unmovable objects that seem to be so heavy, weighing tons, are picked up and tossed as if they're nothing. Whether it's cars or homes or bridges even, where things just fall apart and they're tossed in the wind because there is a destructive power to the force of wind. Fire can be equally destructive. In 2020, the fires in California, do you know that they burned about 4% of the state's entire territory? That, that's a lot. It, it caused damage, destroyed more than 10,000 buildings and killed over 31 people. It affected so many acres, 4.4 million acres. Destruction was just everywhere. There are times that the Holy Spirit, why come on the day of Pentecost with fire and wind? Because I want you to be aware that the Holy Spirit is going to come in with some destructive power in our lives. There's times that the Holy Spirit has to work within us and it has to totally burn away and consume and destroy the power of sin, the, the power of strongholds. It has to break chains and break bondages and break addictions. There is this destructive power that we need to call upon the Holy Spirit. Come and destroy this thing off of my life. Break it off of me. Remove it from me because I can't live this way any further. I don't want to be in this situation any longer. So Holy Spirit, you're coming in like a fire to destroy that and bring about your transformation, your empowering, and all of these other things. We need the Holy Spirit to be destructive in some ways within our lives. But then there's also something else that, you know, as I'm considering fire and wind, Jesus once said that, hey, where does the wind come from? No one knows where it comes from and where it goes. See, there's this uncontrollable aspect to both wind and fire. There's this uncontrollable nature. With all of our advances, right, we, we have so many things at our disposal today. So many things that we've learned how to do and we've manipulated and we've figured out, we've overcome, we've become smarter than and, and, and blessed and, and we've advanced and progressed and that's great. But one thing we can't do is control the weather. As much as we try, man, I was, you know, we were so nervous when we were getting married, me and Nat, because we decided to have our wedding outside. And we decided to have it, you know, on the last day of April. Why? Because it was the day before wedding season. And I could save a lot of money doing that. All right. That's the only reason. All right. Some of you guys think, why, why April? You know, is it a special time? No, it's because the next day I would have doubled my wedding costs if I did it in that venue on that day. And they were outside. So I'm like, Lord, please send your beautiful weather. Lord, please, because there's nothing I can do within my power to change and alter the weather. I can't control whether it's gonna rain or shine, if it's gonna be cold or warm, but I can't control it. We can't control the wind. We may harness it through you know, wind farms and, wind, and, and propellers and all those diff different things. We might be able to, in our best efforts, try to contain uh, you know, the, the wild blaze of a wildfire, but we can't really control it. We do our best, but we can't really control it. See, the Holy Spirit is like that too. On the day of Pentecost, he showed up as wind and fire because he wanted us to know clearly, hey, you don't own me and you can't control me. 
See, what I want to do is what I want to do, and I will accomplish my plan and my purpose. And as much as you want to dictate terms or figure out what I can or can't do, I am in control. There's this uncontrollable nature to the Holy Spirit. He cannot be controlled, and we only deceive ourselves when we think we can do so. Only he knows what he wants to accomplish within every heart. Today, only he knew how many people would be here today. He alone knows who's connecting with us online. He alone knows what is happening within your hearts. He alone searches the inner workings of your heart and can minister exactly what you need. He alone knows what he wants to accomplish within a church service. So who are we to dictate to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, this is what you can do, this is how far you can go, and this is where we want to invite you in. Apart from that, Holy Spirit, you just take a seat. Yet we do that. There's this uncontrollable nature to the Holy Spirit. The same is true in our daily lives as we go out from our homes, as we you know, deal with our families. He alone knows. He alone is in control where he knows what needs to be done in us and through us, what he wants to accomplish in the life of our loved ones, our family members, our colleagues, our co-workers, and so on and so forth. There's an empowering. There's a transformation. There is this destructive power and ability. There is this you know, uncontrollable nature. All of these things were, were necessary and were critical to be shared. And there's so much more that we could talk about, but I'll park it there in terms of what happened on that day of Pentecost with the meaning of this rich imagery and display. The reality is, church, that we all need a refilling of the Holy Spirit. We need a new encounter with him on a regular basis. As we walk this life of being followers of Jesus Christ, we need to have what happened on the day of Pentecost happen again and again in our lives. And Jesus said this. He said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told in, in, in God's word that we're to be constantly filled with his presence, that we are to be constantly living, saturated with his presence. And so it's not something that happened once and that was it, but it's precisely descriptive in the sense that it needs to happen again and again. And when we invite him into our lives, things change. You know, when we look at the definition of, of, of fresh, right? Stop and think about that. Having just arrived, being new, not being, you know, something that was already made or stale or spoiled. It's something that is new to our experience. That is something that we have not encountered yet before. We need to have a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. A fresh encounter with his promise, with his presence, with his activity. A revived and reinvigorated outlook as we work with him and minister through him. Why do we need it? You know, some of us are dealing with situations and circumstances that are very discouraging. Some of us are dealing with situations that are very debilitating. Some of us are dealing with situations that are very impossible within our own uh, abilities and understanding. Some things that are outside of our control. So we need the Holy Spirit to come in with his power, with his transformation, with his destructive force and, and uproot us from those places and say, hey, you who are broken, you who are hopeless, you who are not living in faith, hey, I got something new for you. We need him on those moments. See, Moses needed that when he was up against a rock and a hard 
hard place. Behind him is Egypt, and in front of him is a sea, and with him is millions of people that he needs to get to safety. And so right there, he needed the Holy Spirit to move and operate the winds of God to come in his favor. There was times when Elijah needed the message of God, the wind that tore through the mountains and the fire that that blazed through made way and paid for the presence and the voice of the Holy Spirit. He needed to hear it in a moment of despair. God is available for us and we need his Holy Spirit to speak to us, to send, whether it's the rushing wind or the mighty fire, to send in the tongues of fire and the demonstration of his power. We need him because he wants to separate us and to experience him, to live for him, to move in him, to operate out of power and authority and not to be fearful, to cower, to remain unchanged, to remain broken, to remain hopeless. God wants us to move in that area and atmosphere. And so God sends out his Holy Spirit. And what I want us to consider today, as I've shared way more than I wanted to, but I, I want us to, to just consider today where you are and what you've encountered. You know, have you experienced the fresh winds of the Spirit in your life? Or have you rekindled the fires of His Holy Presence within your heart? Because often in the Word we see fire as, as an emblem of zeal and passion. God is renewing a covenant within His people. On the day of Pentecost, when they would have renewed their allegiance to a covenant and law, God is sending a Holy Spirit that says, I'm renewing you on a daily basis. I want you to be about a relationship with this presence that I've promised you. On a daily basis, I want you to be fired up and zealous for this relationship that is available to you. I want you to remain grounded in the possibility of change and transformation and and uprooting power that the Holy Spirit has as it blows into your life on a daily basis. You know, for some of us here who are discouraged, God is saying for us, hey, through his Holy Spirit, I want you to cheer up. For some of us who are, you know, dealing with some dishonesty and some sin within our hearts, God is saying through the Holy Spirit, I want you to open up and speak up of, of your issue. Confess before me what's going on. For some of us that are going through some issues and we've become bitter and estranged from family or friends or circumstances, he's saying, I want you to be softened up and I want you to, to come and, and hear my words that are sweet and true. And he wants to speak to us and change us. For some of us who have just... <laughs> you know, gone in the wrong direction where our mouths are leading us in a bad place. He wants us to be a little bit more quiet and close up so that we won't speak it any further. God is through his Holy Spirit speaking to us in so many different ways. And bottom line, for those of us who are sleeping, he's saying, I want you to wake up. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I want you to experience his truth and his power, his ability today, because there's much to be accomplished. There's much to be accomplished and there's much that you need for yourself this morning. I'm gonna invite the team to come and we're gonna just close up with with a story here. I heard of this man by the name of John Hyde. John Hyde is better known as Praying Hyde. And this man, he, he boarded a ship from England to go out into the missions field. We've been talking about missions, right? He went to be a missionary to the nation of India. He felt a burden and a call from God to go minister to that people. And as he was leaving on his trip, his first missionary trip to India, he received a telegram. This is back in the days before text message. He receives a telegram, and on that telegram were these words. John Hyde, are you filled with the Spirit of God? Imagine that. You're a missionary about to go out into the mission field 
you are you know, committing your life to God's cause and you have a burden for people, you've experienced, you have some sort of relationship with God thus far and he receives that letter, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? The note caused John to become angry. And he got so mad at that little note that he crumpled up the piece of paper and he put it in his pocket he went to bed. But that night he was unable to sleep and as he tossed and turned on his bed, he kept thinking about that question. And he arose from his bed early in the morning and he took that piece of paper out from his pocket he started reading it again. John Hyde, have you been filled with the Spirit of God? He read it again and again and he kept thinking about the audacity of this person who sent me this telegraph to ask me if I've been filled. I'm going on a mission trip. I'm going to serve God. I've committed my life and I'm going after him and I'm fulfilling the plan of God in my life. The audacity, the boldness of this person to ask me if I have been filled with the Spirit. And suddenly as he's contemplating that and in his anger and bitterness, Hyde's spirit was touched by the challenge of the note. And he started considering those words. He fell to his knees before the Father and he says, Oh God, the audacity, not of the person, but my audacity to think that I could pray or that I could preach or that I could witness, that I could live or serve or do anything in my own strength or power. Fill me, Lord, with your strength. Fill me, God, with your power. Fill me with your power. John Hyde is known to have been one of the missionaries that was a pioneer in the mission field. A man who became a great missionary and because of his willingness to invite the Holy Spirit, Though he knew he's experienced his spirit before, he was willing to say, Lord, I need you to fill me once more. I need a fresh fire. I need a fresh wind. I need a fresh experience of your power because I can't do this in my own. God was able to use this man in the face of many challenges and he impacted quite a number of people. See, the meeting in Pentecost is God's equipping his church, his people with his spirit so that through their actions, through their activity, he can be glorified. Verse 5, if you go back to the book of Acts, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was a dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why? They came to celebrate the Passover, but not the Passover. They came to celebrate beyond the Passover. All these weeks later, he, they came to celebrate the ingathering, the festival, the, the re-giving of the law and the commitment towards the law. They're there and at the sound of the mighty wind, a multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. If you drop down to verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed. Henry Blackaby once said, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to equip you for what you're not going to do. We say that again. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to equip you for what you're not going to do. So if you're in rebellion against Jesus and refusing his right to be Lord, he doesn't need to send his Holy Spirit to equip you for service. And tragically, you miss out on the joy that he brings. So let the Holy Spirit deal with anything that's keeping you from obeying Christ. 
I invite you to stand with me this morning. He's not going to send his spirit to us so that we will do something that he's not calling us to do. Every single one of us have heard the call of God and at times he's tugged at our heartstrings because he's hidden eternity in our hearts. Jesus wants to have relationship with us. The Father made that possible by sending his Son. The Holy Spirit makes that empowering available, that ability possible because he's here to enable us every day to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to follow after him and what he wants. Some of us, we need to change our outlook from Holy I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that I can do this or be that or that this can happen for me. He sends us so that we can be of service to him. He sends us so that we can be impacted. Yes, we are enriched. There's joy. There's blessings that comes into our lives, but it comes as a manifestation as we allow it to flow out of our lives into the lives of others. When they were filled with the fire and the wind, they could not hold back their tongues and they started declaring the wonders of God and the multitude was blessed. Peter gets up and he starts preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified, but him resurrected and 3,000 were saved that day. Men got to experience salvation. Women got to experience God's hope because of the fact that the Spirit filled these people. Today, I invite you to consider this as you respond. Just go ahead and close your eyes and consider this. Have you opened your life to the Spirit of God? Has the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is not guaranteed will be, you know, that we will be like Jesus, but it's a guarantee that he will make us to live similarly like he did, to be empowered as he, as he was empowered. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. Have you invited that power into your life? To receive the gift of the Father is a very simple thing that just requires childlike faith. And maybe some of us here are just waiting for this moment. So my invitation for you is just to say, Lord, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And I take it by faith that it's a gift for me. To bless my life, but God, to enrich my life as I enrich others. Father, I pray that you would flow into hearts this morning. And for some of us, the, the altar call and the, the response is that we need to ask the Holy Spirit, make us more diligent to be filled with you continuously. We look back to a moment where maybe we've been filled, but God wants to do a cleansing work every single day. God wants to do an empowering work in us every day. He wants to have a destructive nature over the sins and the habits and the brokenness that grip us every day. He wants to be in charge and he wants to lead us on a daily basis. And so, for some of us, we need to ask the Holy Spirit, forgive me from just ascribing one day in my past to you and not inviting you to come into every moment of my life because greater is the reality now that is not God by us, but is God in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. However it is that God is inviting you to respond, 
I'm just going to pray a blessing over you. I, I open up the altars that you may come and pray, spend some time with the Lord. Those of you who've never encountered the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and press in as an act of faith. Just take a, a step of faith. Come to this altar as, as a willing vessel. Say, Lord, I want this. I need your enablement, your empowerment. Father, I pray that as you declare the advocate was for one and all, on that day that you came to not just one, not just the 12, but you fell upon the 120 in that upper room who were all in one accord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would allow us to see that those tongues separated, that that wind blew and it came upon each and every person. It's not just reserved for a few, but Lord God, it is normative for all. You desire that for each one. So God, empower your children, transform your children, Lord God, enrich their lives, uproot the destructive forces within their hearts, and God, I pray that you would lead them, Lord Jesus, to be anchored in you. Bless them this day, and fill them, I pray, in your precious name. May the love of God, the, the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, and the grace of Jesus Christ just be with you as you go from this place.